So one of the things that you'll often hear me talking about, at least in my philosophy of preaching, is, is a concept I picked up from uh, a mentor of mine, Daryl Johnson, and, and it's this conviction that, that I strive to teach about Scripture as I preach the good news of Scripture. Um, I, I believe in the transformative power of preaching, not merely because there's truth and information being passed about when somebody talks about Scripture, but because the Holy Spirit works in and through this, this intersection between the preacher and the text being proclaimed and the reception of the word of God by, by people receiving it. And, and that's why preaching is different from a Bible study or a class about the Bible. It is a, a proclamation um, that, that God works in and through. But at the same time, I'm cognizant that we live in the 21st century in Bellingham, Washington, and that the Bible is written thousands of years ago in different language, with multiple languages, with very different cultural background um, that we just, we don't carry those same assumptions that the biblical people do. So it's always my hope that you encounter Jesus when I preach, but also that you be able to, to return to the same passage that maybe you've heard me preach on, and you remember more than what I say about it, but but what it says to you. And, I, and so I kind of, I'm always trying to equip us to be better readers of the Bible during, um, during my sermon time. So I'm aware that today we're finishing Mark chapter one, and I thought, you know, it might be nice for, especially for, for those of you who like note-taking and structure and all that kind of stuff, to sort of just give you the basic outline of how Mark chapter one works before we dive into the text. And so Torrin's got the first slide there, and the first part of Mark chapter one is the prologue. Mark 1, 1 through 15, and in that prologue, you have got pretty much every topic or theme that is going to be in the rest of the book. It sort of tees up all of these big concepts. And, and, and then in, the, in the, next, the next section is the hinge. Mark 1, 14 and 15 is, this, is this, the hinge that it, it ends the prologue and at the same time begins the rest of the gospel. And it is our Zara verse as a church. I think it's the verse in, in Mark's gospel that really sums up what it's about, and it's when Jesus came into Galilee, you know, after John had been taken into custody, he came in proclaiming the gospel of God, and he said the time is fulfilled, the reign of God is at hand, or it's come near, repent, and believe in this good news. So that's, that, that's the hinge. It takes the prologue, and then it sends us out into the rest of the Mark, Mark's gospel, and then the rest of Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 45, are examples of the reign of God unleashed on the world. And so um, you could see that the, the, first, the first thing Jesus did after proclaiming the reign of God is he went on the beach, right, and he, and he began to build a community. He said, you and you, James and John and, and Simon and Andrew, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. And then the next thing he does is he goes into a synagogue and he, and he delivers a man who's been spiritually oppressed by an evil spirit and he casts it out and he shows that the reign of God is here and now the reign of, of the evil one is over. And, and then what he does is he, he, um, he heals physical and spiritual brokenness. Remember he heals Peter's or Simon's mother-in-law and, and then people from all over town start to see him and he heals their, their physical diseases and illnesses and he casts out more evil spirits. And then last week we saw how Jesus modeled this dependence on the Father that even though he's the Son of God and he's doing all these amazing things, he still pulls away to pray and to listen and to make sure that, that he's in line with the will of the Father. 
And that brings us to today, which is the end of Mark chapter one, which is healing social brokenness. Um, healing the whole person. And that's where we pick it up. And so what I'm gonna do is just read that passage and um, I'll do that right now. That's Mark chapter one, verses 40 through 45. A leper came to Jesus, begging him and falling on his knees before him and saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Moved with anger, or compassion, depending on your translation, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. And he said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing um, what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out, and he began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around so that to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but he stayed out in the unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. Lord, as we explore this text together, having never met a real leper myself, this seems so foreign. And the temptation, Lord, is of course to skip it over and just to say, oh, it must be a great story. Let's get to the stuff we can understand. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would sit with us in this moment and open our hearts and our minds, our ears to what you have to say. Help us to receive the good news that you have for us. Amen. All right, so I alluded in my prayer that like this is a weird, weird text. Um, the first thing to do is to just try and wrap our heads around the fact that in the ancient Near East, this is more than just Israel, but uh, you know Turkey and Asia Minor and and uh, Syria and the Jordan and uh, Babylon, modern day Iraq and Iran. Those places back in the first century and most of the centuries before that. They had very different social values, duh. Um, and most, the most important social value for us to understand with regard to this passage is that people divided the world, the whole world, into one of three categories. There were things that were clean or pure, um, normal. So if you're a normie, normal, healthy human being, you are clean and you are pure. Has nothing to do with your character, nothing to do with your, your morality, it's just what you are. Uh, a chair or a book or this music stand is it, it, clean and pure, there's nothing wrong with it, it is fine. Uh, then there's a category of holiness, so um, something that's consecrated, holy means to be set apart or specially used for religious purposes, so in Israel's world, that would be things set aside for worship of Yahweh. So priests would be in the holy category when they're fulfilling their role. Um, the temple, the inside of the temple or the tabernacle would be declared holy. Um, uh, maybe, maybe consecrated things like, well they didn't have communion before Jesus, but you get what I'm saying, like special stuff, scriptures, that would be holy. And then there's another category, or third category, which is unclean. And uh, every, this is, this is not just an Israelite thing, but, um, but people saw that life 
is good, and so things that, that reflected death or reminded people of death were called unclean. Again, this is not a sinful state, it's just one that reminds people of death so they have to be separated from the clean or the living or the holy. So things that could make you unclean would be like, this is totally weird to us, but like bodily fluids, like blood. Blood is supposed to be inside your body, that's intuitive. When it's outside your body, it reminds us of death. So even um, uh, women's blood, uh, once a month, that, that is a reminder of life, but it's also a reminder of death because in many places even today, mortality at childbirth is, is really bad. Um, and in fact, it's not even the best in the world here in our country. Uh, so even um, afterbirth, uh, it could be declare someone unclean, so that person would be seven days or 30 days outside the camp and blah, 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 blah. Um, skin disease, like real leprosy, but also just like flaky skin or eczema, those types of things look like dead skin, and so you would have to separate, it would make you unclean. Again, you're not a bad person, you just remind people of death, and in fact, if you touched a dead body or you're around a dead body, it would also make you unclean for a certain period of time. So this is the weird world of clean, unclean, and holy. And um, just to kind of like help us understand this a little bit more, we're gonna have some, um, a, a picture of a clean person. So here's a normal, like we know that guy, just a normal guy, I think that's Captain Fun Pants. He's not sick in this picture. He's got a, I mean, that's a sick look, right? Yeah, that's a sick shirt, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, this is a normal, he's clean, he's pure, and then we've got a picture of unclean. This is a creepy doll from my wife's side of the family. Um, some kid in her side of the family in the 1920s got diphtheria and didn't die, but they had to boil that doll, and all of its hair fell out, so that's real human hair that they put in there, and that lives in my attic, <laughs> and that is the creepiest, impure, creepy thing Anyway, I've got whole stories about that doll. That's, that's my representation for creepy uh, inkling. And then we got holy, which, okay, so the, the vestments on Easter Sunday, and you got the stole, okay, so, so that's set apart, holy, okay. I, yeah, I realized I've put myself in there. That wasn't the point. It was like the fancy stuff. Okay, but, but it, now here's how this works. So sometimes these worlds interact, don't they? So Torn's got the next slide here. So what happens if a holy thing, a holy object like communion or a Bible or the temple or, or a priest um, interacts with a pure or, or clean person is that the holiness is transferred to that person temporarily. So you can actually get into a holy space. If you're a clean, pure Israelite, you can come into the holy part of the temple and you were, ah, I'm, I'm holy for this time period, okay? Uh, the, the next slide, though, is what happens if an unclean thing comes into contact with a clean thing is that it transfers in that direction. So the unclean or impure thing always makes the clean thing or the, the pure thing unclean. So you're a, you're a clean, regular Captain Fun Pants, you touch a dead body, as you do. Think about it though, in the ancient world, like multiple generations of people live in one house. People die all the time, so you, ha you there's no mortician, like you come and you, it, it's a normal part of life to become unclean. <laughs> when you think about like all the bodily fluid stuff and all of the, like, yeah, y people are unclean a lot of the time. Being holy or set apart is a special thing. So. The unclean object can make 
the pure, unclean, and then also works that way in an ancient thought that the holiness would be corrupted by the unclean. So what is the moral of the story, Torin? Um, beware, I'll make you dirty. Unclean, unclean! And that's what people would have to do if they had leprosy or they'd, tell, you know, they'd have to dishevel their hair and wear burlap, which was a symbol of basically what you bury people in. And then they'd have to go around saying, unclean, unclean, so that people would stay six feet. Wasn't that interesting with COVID, right? Six feet. Um, that was the law in the, in the Levitical law too. And that's, again, that's not just Israel. That's like the ancient Near East in general. That, that was a thing. All right, so I hope that helps at least understand a little bit about how the people in Jesus' day were thinking. Um, but let's just recognize, like, that is really weird, right? Because we are in a scientific age, and we think germs, and, you know, like the Bible Project guys use this example of, um, how many of you eat in your kitchen ever, eat in your kitchen, or your dining room, maybe the living room, you watch some TV? Any of you ever set up a little table and eat your dinner in the bathroom? Anyone do that? Why don't you do that? It's so gross, right? And every time you flush that toilet, like, everything's aspirated. Yeah, it's hideous, right? So you just, it's, it feels like unclean. And we think that that's a rational scientific thing, don't we? Of course we think that. How many of you have a toothbrush out on the counter of your bathroom? Yeah, some of you do. It's not rational. That, that, that's gross, too. But, yeah, so, so we kind of have a concept of clean and unclean. We have, we have strict rules, but then we break them all the time when we feel like it. But I would say the most poignant example would be COVID, right? Like, um, uh, you, we remember when that was a really, uh, a lot bigger deal. Everyone was freaked out. I, I had to go in quarantine. Any of you had to go in quarantine? It's, it's horrible. Like, you just like, cut off from everybody for a period of time. And we all know that you're supposed to do that or whatever. Um, but in a similar way, being impure or unclean, according to the laws in Leviticus, it's not a sin. It's not a sin for you to get sick. It's not a sin for you to get COVID. Um, but what would be a sin is if you knew you had COVID and you're symptomatic and you're like, forget it, I'm just getting on this airplane anyway. Or you go to a concert and you're without a mask on and you're singing to your favorite songs with the band and you're just spreading that stuff everywhere. That, you'd be morally suspect, right? <laughs> like that's, that's messed up. And the, so the same is true in, in biblical terms. If you are an unclean, if you're in an unclean state, you know what? You're not a sinner. You're like, you just go hang out off to the side. But if you brought that into the holy place of the temple and you defile all of that, well, that then would be a problem. Okay. Now, what does that have to do with this passage? Well, the guy in our story has a skin problem, and that meant he's labeled impure or unclean. The Greek word lepros, from which we get leprosy, uh, sometimes implies like actual leprosy, Hansen's disease. That's where, you know, the nerve endings on your skin die and you don't feel anymore so that you're always injuring yourself and sometimes pieces of your skin fall off. So people today in certain parts of the world where uh, cures aren't as available as they are here actually have limbs missing. Um, that is probably not what this man had. Um, leprosy covered all kinds of skin conditions. Again, like I said, severe eczema or um, any kind of rash or, or, or lesion. It was all covered. It was basically that word connotes a white flaky texture. Um, 
the leper in Jesus' day was likely infected with a skin condition that wasn't physically deadly, but caused him to be labeled as unclean because he's walking around with this flaky stuff looking like death. And it could sort of be a condition that's worse than death because it alienated him from society. Like he can't be around people who are clean, who are normal, who don't have a skin condition. First century lepers were not physically contagious, but in a society with strict rules about what's clean and unclean, it was believed that if you came into contact with something unclean, you would catch the uncleanness, and then you would be out of society. So if you touched a dead body, you would have to go through a period of ceremonial quarantine, go through the ritual washings and sacrifices, be checked out by a priest and approved. Same with the skin thing. You'd have to go to a priest and show, like, look, it's cleared up. And then the priest, who's not a doctor, has nothing to do with medicine. It has to do with clean and unclean. All right? So they'd have to approve you and get you back into society. Rabbis had a general rule of staying at least six feet away from a leper. Furthermore, lepers are not allowed to enter walled cities. So you are, you're outside of the camp, outside of the population. And of course, for a, from a spiritual perspective, that meant that they couldn't enter the temple. They couldn't offer a sacrifice or worship with people. Basically, they're believed to be cut off from God. And the popular thought, this is not a biblical thought, but the popular thought, um, you know, it's kind of like there's nothing biblical about us going to heaven in clouds with little cherubs, but if you go to any of the junky Bible bookstores, there's all these cherubs, like, it's just popular thought, right? So it's not a biblical thought, but the popular thought was if someone had leprosy or a skin condition like that, it must have been punishment from God. That was just what people said and emphasize their alienation wherever they went. In public, they had to wear, you know, all the clothes and dishevel their hair, and they had to yell, unclean, unclean, so that people would stay away. All right. So that's a bit of the background on the social stigma against lepers, how lonely they might feel, how isolated from God. So now with that kind of in our minds, let's revisit the story. Jesus is out in public, and a leper a man who ought to have been in isolation, has the boldness to approach Jesus for help. What an act of desperation, right? Uh, This man who is already outside the community risks ridicule and possible harm from people just to come to Jesus, just to enter a public uh, sphere and, and come to him. And it makes me wonder, just like an aside as I was thinking about this, like, Am I coming to Jesus with all that I am? You know, like I, unlike the leper who didn't really have anything to lose, maybe I uh, hedge my bets and say, you know, I've got a lot to lose. Maybe trusting Jesus costs me too much financially or socially, or, or maybe I'm just too busy pleasing myself um, to pray or to serve or to seek him as I ought to. So this story sort of convicts me that this man was just so aware of his desperation um, and really shameless. Like he just, you know what? I've got nothing to lose. I'm coming to Jesus with everything. And he comes with humility and he falls to his knees before Jesus and he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing. It means I think he knew he was able, but he says, Are you, if you're willing, you can make me clean. 
Now remember, the assumed rules of purity. According to the accepted way of thinking, this impure man could have caused Jesus, a holy man, to become impure himself. By being less than six feet from the leper, Jesus would have to quarantine and go through a process of purification in order just to return to his teaching ministry and his healing ministry. So I, just, just imagine you're in the crowd sort of watching this. There's Jesus walking down the street and you watch this leper approach and maybe people are, maybe people are getting out of the way and he comes right up to Jesus. What do you think Jesus does in that situation? What should he have done if he was a good Jew? Well, of course, Jesus doesn't condemn the man and he doesn't tell his bodyguards to get the man. Um, he heals him. And more than just heal a guy, Jesus touches him. Just, just think about that for a moment. This man had probably not had healthy human touch for as long as he had the skin condition. He had been on the unclean list outside of normal society. He was told by people, by popular belief, that he was cursed, that he was unwanted, that he's unworthy. What is that kind of tape in a person's head over and over again? What does that do to their outlook on themselves, on other people, on the world, on God? And I wonder what Jesus actually felt about this whole situation, about being swept aside, about this man being declared unwanted, about this man being declared unworthy, you know, many of our English translations, I bet you in your NIV, if that's the Pew Bible that you have right now, it says that Jesus was moved with compassion and he touched the man. But there's another reading in some of the uh, older Greek texts. It's the minority Greek text. Well, that, what that means is that there's a hundred copies of this same text, you know, um, that maybe 10 or 15 of them have a different word than compassion. And those older manuscripts have anger, that Jesus was moved with anger. And some of the theories are that uh, A, it was a scribal mistake that just got perpetuated, so somebody mistakenly put compassion, and then it ju that just kind of took over. That's why more of our manuscripts have compassion instead of anger. Another theory is that the scribes saw that, and they thought that must have been a mistake. Why would Jesus be angry? And so we're just gonna write compassion because Matthew's version of this has compassion and Luke's version has compassion. And so let's just switch it to compassion. But I wanna argue for the point that oftentimes the harder reading is the truer reading. And we have to wrestle with why would Jesus be angry at the fact that this man has come to him? Looking at other passages in the Gospel of Mark, we actually see Jesus get angry again when he heals a man. Uh, in a few chapters, we're gonna read a story where the Pharisees are pissed that Jesus has been doing ministry on the Sabbath. And so these Pharisees take a man with a shriveled up hand. They pull him in front of Jesus and they say, are you gonna do anything on a Sabbath day in front of all of us standing here? And Jesus is angry, not at the man, not that he's put out that he has to heal him, but he's angry at their attitude. 
for using this man as an object lesson. And I think right here, Jesus is angry. He's angry at a system that has isolated a person like that. He's angry at the evil behind that. That's why he's going to continue on in his, in his exorcism ministry. You don't see a whole lot of that as the Bible goes on. Jesus really conquers sin and death and evil. He really does, makes a point of that. But he's angry at this whole situation. If he was angry at the man, he wouldn't have like touched him and, and like, so I think Jesus is motivated by anger at the situation and he acts with compassion. It is compassionate to touch a man. There's another story in the Bible in the Old Testament, Second Kings, where you know a leper comes up to this prophet Elisha and Elisha's like, be healed in the power of God, don't, you know, like, don't touch me. But Jesus, he comes right up and touches the man and shows compassion in that way. It was out of, out of anger with injustice, anger with death, anger with evil that Jesus acts with compassion, not only heals the man, but touches him. And, and something, um, it's tempting to turn Jesus into this smiling, like, always winsome sort of surreal character uh, who's like nice to everyone and never has a bad day. Um, It's just so fake to me. It's just, do you know anyone who's really like that? Like, eh, just chill out all the time. Do you ever have a bad day? Like, there's nobody like that that I know that doesn't have bad days or never gets, you know, if, if you don't have anger sometimes about injustice, like, I'm checking, do you have a pulse? Like, what's going on? Um, Jesus is not indifferent about suffering, and I like the fact that he's angry about it. It, 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 it makes him mad. Uh, he's not smiling at your suffering. You know, I wouldn't want a parent who saw me suffering, who's just like, it'll be okay. Like, I want him to come to my, my aid, and to be for me. God is for you. He is against suffering. He's so moved with compassion that he does something about it. In fact, he's so motivated to redeem us and to defeat death that he would give himself, he would give his life as a sacrifice for us. That he would become, in that that story of Isaiah 6, where Isaiah realizes he is in the presence, he's impure, and he's in the presence of holiness, and he's afraid that his impurity is gonna like screw up God or something. (laughs) Ha! And so the images of this seraphim coming at this burning coal from the altar and cleansing Isaiah's mouth. No, God didn't really burn the guy's mouth, but it's a symbol of purification. And what Jesus does on the cross and the resurrection is he becomes the burning coal for all of humanity for all time. That's how much evil and death angers him, amen? So Jesus healed the man He could have done it from a distance. That would have been a fine thing. But Jesus goes further and touches the man and he says, I am willing, be cleansed. And just just pause, because then we take for granted that Jesus is awesome. But just notice that what should have happened, what normally would believe to have happened was that the leper should have made Jesus unclean. But Jesus gripped the man, and he turned the tables, and when Jesus touches you, he makes you clean. This is part of what it means when Jesus announced the reign of God on that hinge verse, Mark 1, 14 and 15, that the holiness of God is now unleashed on the world, and the darkness, the corruption, death itself cannot overcome the holiness of Jesus. 
It's like a living lesson that Jesus shows us that, that cleanliness, holiness, is not all about external things, like what you eat or what your skin is doing. It has to do with how we treat other people made in God's image. Jesus performs a mighty deed in healing this man's skin condition, but almost more powerfully, he touches the man and seeks to restore this guy to community. He heals his social isolation. That's why he tells the man to go to the priest and to present himself, because it's the priest. You know, Jesus is like a traveling teacher who didn't really even have the confidence of the priests at that time. So he tells the man to go to the priest to present his clean skin because it's the priest who's the gatekeeper to the community. He's like the local pastor who knows everybody. So if the priest says, this guy's clean, then the community says, ah, come on back in, you're clean. It restores him to the community. That's beautiful. And Jesus tells them to, to tell nobody, like, don't, hey, don't go make a big deal. This is go right to the priest and, and get back into society. Um, he doesn't want the fame from the healing. You know, in, in other stories, Jesus performs mighty deeds, and people try and do things like make him king or, like, declare him Messiah or, 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 or try and, you know, make him something that he's not trying to be at that point. And Jesus knows, knows that the titles that people give him, like king and messiah, are loaded with a bunch of baggage. I call you king, I want my idea of what a king is. I call you messiah, it's my idea of what a messiah is. And Jesus is like, I don't want all that. I want to define these terms for you. So don't go blab it. And of course the guy does, and Jesus can't enter a city for a while because it's too crowded. It's a great story, the holiness of God unleashed in the world, bringing a man out of social isolation and back into community. Huzzah, go Jesus. Now, what is the story telling us? Okay, I think it's telling us lots of things. I'm going to tell us, I'm going to present three. It's telling us a lot more about who Jesus is. I think that's the first point of all of this stuff. Once again, Mark is showing us a story of Jesus where Jesus is doing stuff that only God does or only God has the capability of doing in the rest of the Bible. And I mentioned that, that Second Kings where God heals Naaman, a man with real Hansen's disease, the kind of leprosy where your limbs can fall off, debilitating and deadly condition. And God works through the ministry of the prophet Elisha to bring about the healing. He works through the prophet Elisha. Elisha doesn't heal the man. God heals the man. But in Mark 1, Jesus is clearly the agent of the healing. It's his word. It's his touch. It's his power that brings about the healing. So Jesus is doing stuff only God can do. What do you think Mark's trying to say about Jesus? But there's more. Uh, in Isaiah 1, Israel's been repeatedly idolatrous and rebellious, and God metaphorically calls the people of Israel in uh, Isaiah 1, 5 and following, he calls them a bunch of leprous people. And so what's happening here is that Mark is undoing this curse. He heals an Israelite man, removes his leprosy, removes his, his curse on that. And we learn not only who Jesus is, but what Jesus cares about. He cares about the whole person. It's one thing to just bring about physical healing, to exercise demons from somebody, but part of the healing a human being is respect that humans by nature are communal beings. 
That's part of what makes us us. And so when Jesus heals a person, um, we often see them re-entering into community. That's very important. We gotta stop thinking about people as disembodied individuals. We're made to be together. And so when we see, you know, it's, I think in our culture, it's easy to see someone with a broken leg or like Lucy Kennedy came in limping today and I said, can I get you some ice, sweetie? She says, sure. So I get her ice. I mean, it's the easiest thing in the world to do. But what we're not as attuned to doing is seeing something and noticing if they're on the margins of the community and saying like, what is the ice in that situation? What is extending a welcome or a hand or, or listening ear? That's a lot harder to do. I think that's what's important to Jesus here. So the first thing is that we learn a lot about Jesus, who he is and what he cares about. The second thing that we learn is the importance of reaching out. Uh, the leper comes to Jesus for help. Yes, he does that. He takes the initiative and he has the courage. But I just want to point out, like, where is Jesus in the story? I'll tell you where he's not. He's not in an office. Uh, the guy doesn't have to go through a receptionist. Jesus has not set up a clinic for healing. Jesus is with people. He's out in the public. He's on the move. He's where people are. And as people who carry the hope of Jesus, for those of you who follow Jesus, like you, you carry the hope of Jesus in you. You carry his good news. We can't expect people to just come to us and be like, come to you, Frank, and say like, just tell me all about Jesus. Like, wouldn't that just be easy? Um, we've got to be with people and love them well, irregardless of the message that we have locked up inside of us. Um, and it begs the question, like, who are the lepers of our day? Remember, leprosy, this unclean condition, is not a sin condition. I, like, I'm, sure, I'm sure the guy had, like, sin issues, because everybody does, but that's not the point of the story. Leprosy is just like an unclean thing. So how do we translate it in today's culture? Like, what are some things that we deem as weird or unclean or, or, or that marginalize people that aren't necessarily ethical or moral yeah, okay. Yeah, that is a public health issue, right? And we quickly turn that into a moral thing. We say, oh, that person must be a bad person, right? But it's a disease, first of all, and that's a human being dealing with the disease. That's a good one, Carol. You know, in our culture, we might want to, to, to look around and to see folks who feel like they're on the outside looking in. Maybe it's an ethnic minority in a city where we're still like 85% white. In Bellingham. So when we see people uh, in our lives who are black and brown or, or, you know, like already there's a minority thing going on. Like how, how can we ask, how is your experience, right? And, and just get to know people uh, in that way. Maybe someone's gender makes them feel out of place in certain situations. Maybe in the church, people's gender makes them feel out of place in certain situations. Um, what about someone's sexual orientation? Just how they experience their body and their desires. I'm not talking about the morality of what they do with those. Uh, that's a different thing. We're talking about uh, clean and unclean. And in our society, we typically, we're good at pushing people outside if, if they're different, right? So, so sexuality is another one to consider. What about mental capacity? I heard a term the other day, uh, we're an ableist society, 
So we have tracks for people in school who have ability. We, uh, the, the way we structure everything, how you shop for things, how you drive, it's all for people who are able. Um, but what if there's, you know, not, so mental capacity, what about, what about just mental wellness? You know, there's a lot of us that walk around with, with wounds that are on the inside and not the outside. And they trip us up a lot, whether it's depression or trauma or schizophrenia or bipolar. I mean, there's we're, a group like this, there's a high percentage of us that walk around with, so, so, so that's a way that we can feel on the outside. What about the unhoused or under-resourced or underemployed? You know, sometimes we fear, and I'm putting myself in this category, we feel that getting involved is too inconvenient, too costly, possibly might corrupt me, right? It's, it was that clean, unclean thing, like, I don't know if I want to get too involved. Uh, but Jesus has unleashed his holiness on the world. And holiness wins now over uncleanness. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a temple of God's Spirit, a vessel of holiness. You bring the Lord with you wherever you are. It's like in your workplace, Jesus is there with you. When you're at school, Jesus is there with you. At home, in the store, in the pub, in the coffee shop, at the gym, wherever you are, Jesus is there with you. So how might you be a blessing in those ordinary, everyday places? How might the life-giving holiness of Jesus be unleashed as a blessing through your life? So we learn about Jesus. I think we're encouraged to reach out. And the third thing, that as I just bring this home, is I want to close with a reminder of good news for you. Uh, a minute ago, I asked us about thinking of what a modern-day leper might look like today. And we were kind of thinking of people other than us. But I also want to recognize that many of us, many of you today, right now, feel unclean. Maybe we struggle with mental health or sexuality or navigating the world, today's world, in our context as a man or as a woman, and it's hard. And to add complexity, just let me say out loud that you might feel like a leper in church, particularly because you might doubt certain aspects of your faith. Or you might look around and say, my marital status is different than the majority. That makes me feel out of place. Or because you have children, or because you don't have children, and that can make you feel uh, out of place. Whatever the cause may be, hear that the good news is that Jesus has unleashed his holiness into the world. It floods this space. It touches all of us. And he has the power to make us new. Part of the gospel is that you and I no longer need to live in shame. That, that Jesus died and rose to redeem all things and to make all things new, even you and even me. And that is saying a lot. Um, so I want to encourage us uh, to respond in a moment of silence, just like, Lord, <laughs> I need to be cleansed by you. I want to be made whole by you. I want to respond to you. I want to say yes to you. I want to, to have the boldness to come to you and say, if you're willing, Lord, 
You can make me clean. And I wonder if we could imagine Jesus who in that day and age with those social barriers touching that man in public would he not also reach out and touch you where you're at and say I am willing be cleansed Lord help us to receive that love you have for us help us to receive your touch your word of redemption over us.